Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Philippe Naren, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Fergal Armstrong. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about methadone and the social benefits of methadone. So, Fergal, what do you feel are the major social benefits of methadone? So I think it's important to understand that, that methadone saves lives and it also saves communities. Now, we, in a previous episode, we've discussed the benefits to the patient. So, and, and, and remember, though, the key thing about those benefits is it's not necessarily abstinence. Yeah. So the key thing to understand in terms of the benefit of methadone for patients, it does not automatically lead to abstinence. And society also needs to understand that. I think we need to challenge the view that, that society, some members of society have when they think that the best thing to do with someone who's suffering from heroin use disorder or some other opioid use disorder is to basically lock them up and throw away the key. We know that acquisitive crime needs to be uh, seen as a symptom of heroin use disorder. And therefore, because it is a symptom of a chronic relapsing brain disease, rather, and it's not a moral choice, it's not, it's, not, it's not essential badness, it needs to be dealt with through the healthcare system rather than through the court system, through the criminal justice system. And we know that the treatment Rather than locking people up and throwing away the key, we know that methadone treatment, methadone maintenance therapy, reduces criminality. We know that it reduces acquisitive crime. And we know that engagement in services reduces criminality and reduces crime. But there, there does seem to be a dose effect with this, uh, Philippe. And would you care to comment on that? So as with any medication, you have to make sure that the patient has an adequate dose of the medication to treat the condition. You would never dream of underdosing someone on antibiotics, for example. And with methadone, as we've mentioned in the previous episode, most people would argue one would need a dose around or over 60 milligrams to start getting the patient having less cravings, less urge to source heroin. And when the, the patient is out of the cycle of constantly searching for heroin and out of the cycle of withdrawals, then one sees the benefits of methadone. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the dose effects of methadone and the social benefits of adequately dosing a patient of methadone. Yeah. And this goes back to the DSM-5 criteria. So remember, you know, we've got the uh, the last two criteria, the O and the P of chew that cop. So the failure to meet societal and personal obligations, our obligations to society. So I've said earlier that that um, acquisitive crime is a, is a symptom of heroin use disorder, but so too is a general failure to actually meet your personal obligations to other people, to society, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the P for personal relationships. So it's the, it's the loss of those relationships. So if you look at someone with heroin use disorder, right, they can't get up in the morning to go to work. They can't pick up the kids from school. They can't hold down a job. They can't pay the rent. And then they ultimately have to, can do, can resort to some form of criminality to actually pay for the heroin. So not only is there a loss of tax revenue, not only is there, does there become an, uh, perhaps an over-reliance on social services, but then there is the cost to the criminal justice system. 
So, you know, roughly speaking, uh, methadone maintenance therapy or opioid agonist therapy reduces all of that uh, criminality. And also, a lot of people talk about dollars and cents and what is the actual benefit to, to the taxpayer? Are we just throwing money down the drain by putting people on methadone programs? Um, is there any evidence that it actually helps? But the research, and this has been studied extensively, and the arguments are that for every dollar invested in addiction treatment, it does yield about between 4 to $7 in reduced drug-related crime, criminal justice costs, thefts, and this kind of savings can are related to kind of overwhelming healthcare savings costs overall. So it is quite effective. If you think about any intervention that we have in medicine, what interventions really give you a yield of four to seven dollars for every one dollar spent? There aren't that many. So um, it is a very cost effective intervention as well for the taxpayer. Yeah, I mean, you asked me the question, what else in medicine does that? Well, actually, I know one thing that does do that and of that magnitude, and you're a specialist in lifestyle medicine. So we know that lifestyle medical interventions uh, have a similar uh, cost-benefit return. But yeah, it's really important for people to understand that there is a significant tax dollar saving, not only in reduced costs for the uh, healthcare system, but also reduced costs for the criminal justice system. So if we look at the criminal justice system, in Australia, the cost of methadone maintenance therapy varies state by state. So I think in Victoria, it's about $1,500 a year or two, up to $2,000 a year. But actually in New, New South Wales, it seems to be about $5,000 a year. But to, the cost of actually incarcerating someone for a year is, is over $100,000. So if you look at it purely at, 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 as an intervention that keeps people out of prison, and we know that it does, we know that methadone maintenance therapy keeps people out of prison. Just on that rubric alone, the difference between, say, $2,000 and over $100,000, uh, you know, that's a 50 times uh, greater expense that is saved. Now, the, you know, the, the, the figures do get diluted because not everyone on methadone is potentially averted from, uh, from prison. You know, it's, uh, but overall, you've quoted figures four for healthcare and four uh, and seven dollars saved for healthcare and criminal justice costs. And I think that was research from from the United States, from NIDA. But, you know, methadone maintenance therapy needs to be seen in a holistic context. But, you know, there's another intervention which is even more cost effective. If we just look at needle syringe exchange programs, there was evidence from Western Australia that, that actually for every dollar invested in a, in a needle syringe exchange program, that actually up to about $28, $29 was saved. And, and that feeds into the downstream effects of reduced injecting, sorry, reduced tr transmission of bloodborne viruses. And we know that, as we've just said before in a previous episode, that methadone maintenance therapy reduces injecting behavior and re therefore reduces transmission of bloodborne viruses. So these benefits are all interlinked. And ultimately, if we can stop people injecting, not only, we, not only do we benefit the patient, but we benefit society. And I think the sad thing is uh, that a lot of patients are denied this treatment, which is obviously not ideal for the patient, but probably very unfortunate for society in general. As we've said in this episode, if we can get a patient on an adequate dose of methadone 
and by that we have identified that as being around over 60 milligrams. We've explained how it reduces criminality, increases retention in the treatment program, decreases unsanctioned opioid use, decreases HIV risk-taking behaviour or hepatitis C uh, risk-taking behaviour, which is by injecting drugs uh, or using contaminated needles to inject drugs and decreases criminal activity. And it's one of those medications where the benefit to the patient is probably outweighed by the benefit to society by getting the patient on an adequate dose of treatment and preventing uh, incarceration where just by using drugs or using substances, this person can be put into jail, be exposed to behaviours or an environment that is not conducive to their overall health, well-being, and ultimately turning someone into uh, a, a more hardened path than is necessary by adequate treatment of their opioid use disorder. Is that, is that a fair summary, Fergal? I, I totally. I mean, I would just say that prison does not work, yeah. all right? I don't think the prison works for um, the prevention of crime. And I don't, and I know that prison does not work in terms of the prevention or treatment of substance use disorder. It just does not work. I think it's an, I think, I think we as, as, as a society need to really internalize and reflect on that message. Now, I mean, we also need to, to look at the, the whole context of drug treatment services. And there, there, there are some people that are passionate advocates for abstinence therapy as a, as a, as a, first-line intervention for opioid use disorder. What is your view on the role of abstinence therapy versus methadone in the early phase treatments of uh, heroin or other opioid use disorders? I think abstinence-based therapies can be quite dangerous. I think we're setting the patient up to fail by creating an artificially high standard that can sometimes, or I'll rephrase, oftentimes not be attained and when a patient is not abstinent, they feel worse or guilty, feel the treatment is not going to work and then can disengage from treatment. We also know that periods of abstinence after heavy drug use and then relapsing or lapsing onto usage and using a similar amount of heroin can lead to overdose and death. So ultimately with any treatment goal, we have to be realistic and we have to set realistic goals for our patients. Some patients want to achieve abstinence, and I'm very supportive of that, but usually that's over a period of time rather than, uh, say, a detox, uh, patient's abstinent, and then you give them a wave and pat on the shoulder and then send them off into the world. That, in my opinion, is destined to fail. And I don't know if I've been too harsh by saying that, Fergal, but that's just my experience. Well, well, it is a contentious issue, and I agree with you. I think that, that, that long-term methadone maintenance therapy is superior to detox followed by abstinence therapy at keeping people engaged in services and at preventing relapse and therefore preventing overdose and death. And I think we need to emphasize that abstinence, in my opinion, and I'll ask your opinion next, but in my opinion, abstinence, especially in these early phases, simply lowers tolerance and increases the risk of overdose and death. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think it can be quite dangerous and I think we need to meet patients where they are, give them realistic treatment goals, keep that engagement, which is vital, and just make sure the patient keeps coming back, has rapport with you and the service, 
has rapport with anyone in the service, doesn't have to be you by and of itself. And by that engagement, that is the thing that saves lives and that is the thing that gets the best outcomes. So I often play a little bit of sophistry around this issue. I ask the patient, look, is, are you abstinent of heroin or are you abstinent, abstinent of therapy? Because I encourage abstinence from illicit heroin use as I encourage compliance with my, uh, my uh, opioid replacement therapy. And it goes back to the, to the diagnosis of opioid use disorder. Because remember, we're trying to treat a disorder. And if someone is stabilized on methadone, you cannot use tolerance and withdrawal as diagnostic criteria for, for any further opioid use disorder. So if they are entirely compliant with their treatment, and they don't have any of the other aberrancy features that we would need to make a diagnosis of opioid, a, a de novo diagnosis of opioid use disorder when the patient is on a prescribed opioid such as methadone. Do they actually have any opioid use disorder according to DSM-5? It's, it's, it's certainly interesting. and It's an interesting point of view, isn't it? So, you know, absolutely. abstinence from illicit opioid use, I think, can include and should include compliance with prescribed opioid agonist therapy. Is there anything else that you feel we haven't covered that is a societal benefit from methadone? I think we've had a pretty wide-ranging talk about a range of issues where society benefits from ensuring people with opioid use disorder or on methadone. Is there, is there anything that we've missed, Fergal? I think it's important to emphasize the following fact, that, that, that we need to move away from viewing opioid use disorder, heroin use disorder, as a, as a poor moral choice or a moral failing. It is a chronic relapsing disorder of the brain. It is a, it's got a neurological basis to it. It needs to be treated with health care and with compassion rather than uh, being seen as a problem primarily for the criminal justice system. And if we can move away from seeing uh, the criminal justice system as the first line of treatment or the first line of management for patients with heroin use disorder, I think society will overall benefit. Which then brings me, and we don't have time to talk about this now, but then brings me to the, situ to the, to the issue of um, the role of medically supervised injecting rooms in society. But that's a, a discussion for another day. That's a, that's a massive topic and it does deserve its own episode to, to, to cover. But I think your summary is excellent and probably a great place to leave the episode for today where we've had this wide-ranging discussion about the societal benefits of, of methadone and there really are a number of these benefits for society. So thank you for listening to us for another episode of Cracking Addiction and bye for now.